we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Hello and welcome to the Nonsense Bazaar. We're your hosts, I'm Sequoia Kennedy. And I'm Willow Truman. Willow, we can't let the alien menace win. It's already winning. I know. It's already won. This no, is... it's not winning yet. I won't concede. No. But it it's it's really throttled us hard. It's throttled us hard. <laughs> I, I'm not even kidding. Like, if you think this is an act, it's not. It's not. We um, we lost like five hours of recording. Yeah. 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 Might be for the better, though. Maybe. Maybe we lost episodes one and two of this series, so we're doing it again. Getting in we the can't give in. Yeah. Getting in the time machine, going back. Going back. We're gonna do it over. Do it better. It's gonna be fine. Yes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. We haven't done a big old series in a while, and it's, well, it was time weeks ago, but it's about time again. It's goddamn time. <laughs> it's goddamn time. All right. We've talked about this greasy bastard before, um, but now we're going to give him the full treatment. And I'm talking about the shady as all live and fuck parapsychologist, Andrea Puharik, whom you'll remember from our episode on The Nine. And we'll be covering some of the same ground on the series, but mostly I'm going to direct y'all to go back and listen to that one when the time comes. That was about, you know, uh, the CIA channeling entities that said they were from, they, they were the ancient Egyptian gods and all that shit. Go back and listen to it. Yeah. One of the primary characters in that saga, perhaps the primary character, was the parapsychologist Andrea Buharik. Now, here's the thing. Um... I need I need to get get out my soapbox real quick. This thing's getting rickety. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people have some very positive feelings towards Andrea Puharik. Why? Well, he was for sure a pioneering parapsychologist. Right, which is yeah. not to be understated. It's not. It's not. He's a very smart motherfucker. Uh, his book Beyond Telepathy is fantastic. I he was a genius, and in fields that are usually played for laughs, getting a genius on your side is a big get. But also kind of a madman. I mean, not kind of. Oh, no. He was a greasy fucking bastard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's also, on the other, on the flip side of that, he's also portrayed as a primary villain in, like, the conspiracy theory worldview, specifically, like, right. mind control conspiracy theories, right? Because he has connections to CIA, army intelligence, psychotronic mind control, the plot to enslave the minds of all the world under the New Age religion and get yeah. Jesus out of our schools. Yeah. That, that last bit's a little bit of sarcasm there a little bit of a little bit of hyperbole but uh, i do kind of think that that perspective is closer to the truth while still falling short my position is and has been that many people fall for the fallacy of thinking that intelligent equals morally good oh god no no i don't believe that for a second like it's almost like the fallacy of like reason equals good mm -hmm. right which is like strikes me as a you know consequence of like the rational material Right. Materialist worldview and shit. Um, we've talked about many completely amoral scientists on the show. Yeah. Well, I feel like scientists are really good at, you know, justifying yeah. their what, whatever it is they seek to do. They're like, you know what? But I have a good reason. Right. It's for science, though. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's a it's the ambition and dedication to the research itself like right specialization creates tunnel vision and human lives are short and time goes by very very fast and it's easy for people to turn a blind eye to the shadows on the periphery as long as the work continues it's true yeah because there's like a lot out there but yeah you're right about tunnel vision especially scientists yeah especially people like andrea puharik yeah you know they get sort of on this one track and he may have been even a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. I think he may have had some delusions of grandeur of his own through much of it. But and I'm sure that wasn't helped by his psychedelic mushroom research and other oh, other crazy no, ass no, drugs he was no. taking. You know, those do have an effect on your mind. Yeah, delirians. Uh, specifically, like, well, we'll get to that in a little bit. But I would submit that Andrea Puark does fall under this mad scientist uh, umbrella. Totally. How much of his shenanigans were smoke screens, CIA plots, giant illusions, magical fuckery? Like, maybe we'll have an opinion on at the end of this series. But this dude is squirrely. This is, um, this is a hard one. This is a fucking hard series to do. But chances are, dear listener, you've probably never even heard of this man. Unless you heard us talk about him before. So, why should you care? What's the hook? Like, he's just some weird psychic scientist? Well, there's a lot to the hook. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, from working at Edgewood Arsenal on chemical warfare experiments to alleged connections with the mind control programs Artichoke, Pelican, and MKUltra, to discovering Uri Geller and running around Israel with Geller while being fucked with by a giant spaceship named Spectra, channeling the Nine with, as author Peter Lavenda puts it, what looked like a prayer meeting of the Association of Former Intelligence Officers, to hosting some of the world's best and brightest at his lab, Lab Nine, where Apparently, he also had a bunch of psychic children that came from somewhere. Oh, yeah, duh. To being friends with Iron I- Ira Einhorn, the so-called unicorn killer who invented Earth Day. Also, he discovered the psychoactive properties of the Amanita muscaria mushroom and did a bunch of work on parapsychology. This motherfucker did a lot. It's kind of insane. Mm. And he was a greasy fucking bastard. So let's get into it. But before we do, let's pull a tarot card for this first portion of Puharik's life and see what we get. Man, I was like, what is the unicorn killer? So I looked it up. Yeah. And I'm like, holy shit, bro. Yeah. Yeah, that's... uh. He was a fugitive for like 20 years. Yeah, dude. Emily Louise's uh, Weird Reads with Emily is doing a video on Ira Einhorn around about this time. Yeah. Yeah, dude. He's a piece of shit. He was friends with Andrea Puark, too. They're <laughs> friends. They're buds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Body found in a trunk. Yeah, dude. Lord. Very different card from the one we got last time, but I think also appropriate. Six of discs. Six of pentacles. Oh. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. I pulled that for myself today. Oh, it keeps showing up for me. Yeah. It's really, it's kind of, it's one of those cards that's just showing up over and over again for me. Wait, let me make sure it's the one I'm thinking. Yep. It's definitely the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Six of discs. Success. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That would be... That is so weird that I pulled that today. Dude, this card's been plaguing me. No, it's a good card to plague you. I suppose. No, it suppose. is, though. It is. It is. Like, it is. Yeah. Because that's exactly what I just said as you were shuffling the cards, and you'll cut out of the episode, but I'll reiterate right yeah, now yeah. for our listeners to get in on, you know... Get in our, our little bullshit that we cut out. <laughs> I was saying 
that both Ira Einhorn and Andrea Puharik have benefited from the wealth of benefactors. Yes. That yeah, have yeah, yeah. provided them the means with which to do their crazy bullshit. Yeah. That is literally the six of pentacles. It literally is. Yeah, straight up. I mean, it's in the Rider Waite Smith deck, it's a dude who's doling out coins to two beggars. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. it's it's this benefactor, this guy who has he's generous with his wealth. And I mean as we'll see going forward in like part two with like fucking Uri and Spectre of the spaceship, it's another sort of patron situation with mm-hmm. that whole fucking weird bullshit. But yeah, six of discs. All right. We will talk about that at the end of the episode. one of those like rare tracks that just whoops ass and is not on spotify not on spotify you say yeah just like all of joanna newsome stuff really yeah why did she get <laughs> no no did she get mad at joe rogan <laughs> <laughs> no it was off there way before that it was never on there no shit interesting yeah and uh, electric avenue mm-hmm. <laughs> you know some artists they just they have enough integrity to say you know what if i'm gonna get paid pennies no well you know it's podcasters on Spotify don't get shit. And I don't care. Join our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Andrea Puhark was born as Henry Carl Puhark on February 19th, 1918 in Chicago, Illinois. Mm. A lot of people think he's not an American. He is. He was born in Chicago. His parents were Croatian immigrants, right? Who had left their homeland in search of a better life in the United States. And as such, they were kind of... Uh, yeah, they, they pushed... Andrea pretty hard. Like, he was expected to, like, a lot of, like, first-generation immigrants, like, expected to grow up and become a doctor, right? Like, it's that old, that old thing. Yeah. And as such, dude also loved America, right? Like, he believed in the mythic quality of America. And also, as a child, Andrea also had an early interest in the mysteries of the human brain and the potential for psychic phenomena. Growing up in Chicago, Andrea excelled academically. And his curiosity about the human mind led him to pursue a career in medicine. After completing high school, he enrolled in pre-med studies at Northwestern University. Um, and was more like, he was interested in consciousness. 
Yeah, he was interested in the brain, right? Yeah, what makes a mind? Yeah. What what is experience? What is con- but more how that re- relates to consciousness? Yeah. The like the what's the physical mechanism for the more ephemeral mind and not just in terms of like um not in terms of necessarily poking and prodding, but what makes consciousness and energy life energy, you know, go. Right. Right. Where do thoughts take place? Yeah. Do and they have any like what are they? What are they? Do they are they an energy all their own? Do they exist somewhere? Right. And if they exist somewhere, can they go somewhere else? Can I read someone else's? Yeah. This was kind of his he was interested in that from a fucking early age, right? I don't blame him. I would have I mean, been you interested and me both. in that. Oh. As soon as I found the like <laughs> I forget what section of the library it was called, but in my elementary school library, which was a K through eight school, they had a section specifically for like ESP books, like books about the phenomena, books about Loch Ness, books about weird shit. And that was my shit. I hung out in that little corner of the library and I was like, whoa, I loved Matilda. I loved this series of books named Molly Moon that was about hypnotism and psychic powers. Like I loved this idea Oh, yeah, of dude. being a little girl that could somehow have magic powers and influence the world. It's why oh, Harry too. Potter popped off. Absolutely. I was all about fucking Matilda, the uh what's the Madeline Ingalls books? Um, um A Wrinkle in time. time. Yeah, I that was my shit. Yeah. Uh I also loved these books, Cirque du Freak, which was any book that had a normal human kid. That had sort of this tumbling down into a world Mm -hmm. that existed alongside our world, but that most people didn't know about and only they had access to. The same reason why I've always loved Alice in Wonderland or like The Wizard of Oz was one of my favorite movies as a kid. Yeah. You know, just that that idea that there's this other world alongside ours. His Dark Materials. Yeah. Do you ever read those? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that shit. But yeah, so I definitely understand it, you know. Also, remember when we first recorded this, we looked up uh, Puharik's birth chart? Oh, I have it pulled up. Yep, because it's actually really interesting. (laughs) Yep. Pisces sun, Pisces rising, Gemini moon in the third house, the house of communication, the house of intellect, which is right where it's ruled by Gemini. So his moon, like that inner part of himself, really wants to study others, study like how to communicate with others, how to, Mm -hmm. you know, poke and prod at others. Meanwhile... His sun, his Mercury, his Venus, like his Saturn, this is all in the 12th house. It's all 12th house Pisces? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Well, no, his his sun is in the 12th house Pisces, okay. and then the rest of it is in Aquarius. Oh, interesting. Oh, God. Yeah. So he's got like his planet of communication and like love and like... Mercury and Venus are both in the 12th house, which is the same for me, so I could relate to this. But that is the house of secrecy, of, like, occultism, Madness, of institutions, drugs. Yeah, ruled by, like, Death. Neptune. And ru- yeah. It's the 12th house, the house of disillusion. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I realize why I'm so harsh on this dude, too, because I also have Pisces, Sun, Gemini, Moon. I understand you, you piece of shit. You're a Gemini moon? Yeah, dude. That's why everyone hates me. Holy shit. I didn't really... You didn't mention that in the first episode, yeah, did. did you? Yeah, definitely. Holy fuck. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have the same sun moon. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Different houses, but still. But all my shit's in Capricorn, which is 
this everyone just turned off this podcast which is the other saturn and guess house. what i don't even really buy into astrology that much was, i'm, I'm just discussing this for the basis of the podcast because mm-hmm. i think that it's so interesting to who puharik is yeah like yeah, it's yeah, yeah. so fascinating to me that he skews so heavily towards like water and air water and air yes he has no fucking like grounding there's he no, has no earth no earth that's at why all. and that's why every, no one covers him as like a protagonist or something because he has no impulse no action either right he, he literally he's has a no fucking ghost dude no grounding yeah all he's of ephemeral his planets holy shit all of his major planets are in water and air and hit the whole nature of this motherfucker's character why this series has been so hard from the start is because this dude is a fucking ghost yeah. like there is no straight up biography of this man. Well, he's steam. Right? What does water and air together apply heat? Yeah. Like, but at the same vapor. time, he's like the center of like the American paranormal mystery. Right? And it's funny how this story Jesus almost Christ. builds more around the things around him rather than who he is because right? we, we don't actually know much about who he is. He I, is a, a but ghost. We have books that he wrote. Yep. We have videos of him. And yet, it's not like can't... we don't know. <laughs> It's and yet so it's hard weird. to trust any of it. Right. So it's like... Right. You yeah. can't trust a goddamn thing about it. God, moving on. Okay, that, but that's very interesting. Fucking A. Okay. Just got to shake that off for a minute. Wow. He's just a bunch of hot air. <laughs> he's just a bunch of steam. Or he's an, he's an engine. Mm-hmm. What, like, that's what steam is. It's potential, right? Or a storm. Wow, that's so fucking wild. If you even like look at his wheel uh, and look at the transits, it's almost like all of this stuff like drawing down. Oh, dude, that's ex- like drawing like, down that's into the so center. so close to like what my chart looks like too. Yeah. It's weird. I think that's also why I understand this piece of shit. Yep. Uh, and why I hate him. <laughs> Ain't that how it goes. All right. So in 1937, uh, Puharik, as a teenager going into college, he won the Cook County Oratorical Contest. Really good at public speaking. Yeah, with an essay on George Washington. Willow, if you please, and dear audience, keep this in your pocket as we try to untangle who the fuck this man was. Uh, This is a long quote, but I think it's important. Washington, the leader. When a man belongs to posterity, he is an alien to his contemporaries, since the effects of his work are far too reaching to be appreciated by his own generation. There is none of that familiar local color about him or his productions that appeals to the masses. There's too much of the visionary about such a man to convince the practical-minded. Speculations of this order enter the mind of an individual when contemplating the fame and leadership of George Washington. In reading the literature of the time, one is astonished at two things. First, the bitterness of the criticism directed towards Washington, especially during his second administration. Bitterness which resulted from the application of his ideals. For the natural antagonism between the known, the ordinary, and the exceptional, the inventive, is always bitten. Then, secondly, that despite such criticism from the many, a strong current of loyalty from the few, furnished on inspiration, became a source of strength to him. This latter attitude did not assume the proportions of the purely personal affections accorded to such leaders as Jefferson, Jackson, or Lincoln, but it did show itself and the respect and reverence with which these people regarded him. Even in those days, some of the people vaguely felt his transcendent greatness. And since that time, posterity has proven the soundness of the faith of our forefathers, as each succeeding generation has reaffirmed their judgment. 
When we look at Washington's career, when we consider his foresight, his wisdom, and his statementship, we're not surprised at the reaction of a troubled people. They needed a man of courage, a man who possessed keen insight, a man endowed with a genius for order and justice. This man was George Washington. From the moment he took command of the revolutionary armies beneath the Cambridge Elm, the recognition of his ability as a leader was apparent. Misfortune, delay, nor disappointment could avail to completely unseat the public trust in him. They saw something in the man that assured them of a character destined for higher things. Jesus Christ, bud. Bro wishes he was George Washington. So, so fucking bad. bad. Like, I don't know. I think that says a little something about someone's character when they're sucking off a fucking <laughs> the first president of America that hard. I don't know. Well, he clearly has this idea of a great man. Yeah. This idea of the American great man. Yeah. And it's something that is important to him and that appeals to him. And there's this idea of the masses who cannot understand the great man, but it's not their fault. Right. He's for an they alien. are just for they are just small people, but they'll know in time how great this man was. Well, I I really like this idea that what? like he's not of this time because I felt like Puharic always kind of had that sense about him, for better or for worse, whether or not that's like self-indulgent, because Loki, I've kind of felt that way throughout my life. Like, you know, I'm not sure I was meant for this generation. And of course I am. I love this generation. I, th I mean, I think. <sighs> but I've definitely had that feeling that mm, I, I sort of feel out of time. I feel out of place in this world. I, yeah. I don't. I, Especially as a child of Croatian immigrants. I think he felt in place i don't know i think he just he, it's this like sense of well sometimes you have to do things that the people won't understand yeah oh by the way george washington um same sun and rising as you oh yeah well then but his moon's in capricorn and that, that's a fucking that's what a taurus rising does huh yeah i could be a great man yep i could be president one day <laughs> there you go <laughs> uh how quickly we flip this, yeah, there's just something I don't like about that story of hero worship and like, right. there's, so, there's something a bit Nazi about it. So this is a know? speech that he he won a contest for. Yeah. A speech about George Washington. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's weird. It's well, I mean, weird. he's the first president of the United States. It's, it, he's I mean, kind of like also, the king of America in a way. Exactly. Yeah. It's also like, I could see a cynical move to like win an oratorical contest. Just but be like, like, I'm going to just fucking, I'm going to go for the George yeah. Washington bit. <laughs> yeah. In which case, I love it. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's, maybe he's not who we think we, he is. Maybe he's, maybe he's one of us. No, I don't think so. No, I think that he related to George think, Washington yeah. and, and sought to <laughs> cement a place in history yeah. for himself similar to George Washington. I agree. Well, in uh, med school at Northwestern University, he, uh, he, he wrote a bunch of journals, which he called, uh, quote, an intellectual autobiography of Henry Puharic. Oh this is what he's doing in pre-med school? So it's med school, even. Just like, yeah, I'm going to be so important one day that someone's going to want to publish my diaries, so uh, I'm just going to start writing it for them so uh, that they can uh, just uh. easily publish it. Uh, this is from... From his intellectual oh, autobiography yes. of Henry Puharic. <laughs> yes. God, this is self-indulgent. It's self-indulgent. Okay, he writes, I would venture to say that nobody really knows another's mind thoroughly. And I would venture that... I'm sorry. Can we start over from the top imagining that Puharic is writing in his live journal? Yes. Because that's what this fucking is. <laughs> like... Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. I would venture to say that nobody really knows another's mind thoroughly. And I would further venture that very few people really know their own mind. It would certainly be a great step forward for many of us if we could sit down and untangle the jungle that is our minds and then understand those processes by which we judge and study others. If I could do a good job of a task like this, understanding the nature of a man's consciousness, I would feel that I had passed a great milestone in my education. Yeah, if you solve the hardest unsolvable problem in all of human learning, you'd pass a great milestone in your education. Understanding how people think and, and what other people are think, being able to like have a formula to that. Yeah, good <laughs> fucking luck. Um, at this time, he also began developing a concept he called dynamics. This is a huge quote. But... I visualize the human nervous system as being embedded in the cell tissue of the body. Not wrong. Just as the roots of a tree are embedded in the ground, which gives it nourishment. One end of the nervous system, as we recognize, is being in the brain. It is here that all of the messages from the body and the sense organs are localized. Other end of the nervous system is embedded directly in cell tissue through a countless number of fine nerve endings. <laughs> this primary flow, however... <laughs> You know, yeah, people yeah. are going to understand this when I when I say it like. This. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a funny voice for this man with a Chicago accent. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's my it's his words through my voice. No, I know. It's good. It's yes. This primary flow, however, has some tributaries which return the energy to the muscles and other parts of the body. This can be easily illustrated by the fact that a man can drive himself beyond his normal capacities by the force of will, which, to my way of thinking, is nothing more than the conscious diversion of this primary flow of cell energy back into the body. The point that I'm trying to establish is that the brain is an area wherein localized the cell energy of the body. I shall label this cell energy dynamics. I further venture to say that the transference of dynamics from one person to another is possible. We all know that there are people who can thrill and exhilarate one. There are others who simply bore and fatigue one. This implies that there's a wireless, touchless transfer of this vital substance, the cell energy, dynamics. If dynamics can be transferred from one organism to another, why cannot that other function of mind, thought, also be transferred from one mind to another mind. It is also conceivable that dynamics, cell energy, transfer of thought, vital substance, not only passes freely between persons, but also dissipates out into the atmosphere. So that's... Dynamics. Puhark's theory of psychic vibes. shit. Yeah. It's vibes. It's vibes. Dynamics is vibes. Like, yeah. what are the dynamics here? Yeah, basically. What sort of dynamics am I walking into? I think he he does think of it as like a real energy, like on the electromagnetic and like, spectrum. I totally, I kind of get what he's saying. I do too. I mean, yeah, like I said, like dude's a smart fucker. Like right. when know. he says, we all know there are people who can thrill you, people who bore you. Like yeah. there are people who, when you enter their electromagnetic field, it feels like they either suck from you or they're giving you something. Like they're either positively 
or negatively charged against your battery. Maybe yeah. not towards everybody, but with you and that person, there's something about your batteries, about your electromagnetic signature that's just like, whoop, that doesn't work. I would, yeah, well, there's, a, there's patterns of signals that then flip switches. Right. So Which, he, he's just thinking about these things that we've all thought of and we all have our own terms and names for. Yeah. But he's trying to put that into scientific terms and see if he can measure that. Somehow. I think the thing he doesn't get, though, is that like the thoughts arise in the person, but you transfer thoughts by a, a collection of signals that flip different switches and you hope to yep. flip the right switches to make another person's version of a same thought. Like I, But he's over here thinking that like... A thought is like a packet of energy right. itself and like a Wi-Fi signal. Whereas, you know, like sometimes I'll be hanging out with my partner and I'll notice that their voice is like getting dry because I'll notice that they're, I'm starting yeah. to hear that more. And that's when I'll pass them a glass of water and they'll be like, oh my God, are you psychic? Hmm. Like I was just thinking about how I wanted to have water. Yeah. And I'm like, no, nah, man, I was just paying attention to your, to your cues. I could yeah, hear yeah, your yeah. voice getting dry, <laughs> you know? So I'm not psychic. I'm just highly attuned to your needs. And sometimes it'd be like that with sometimes other people. Sometimes it'd be like that. You know? I, I mean, at the same time, though, as I've said many times, the one paranormal phenomenon I will go to bat for every fucking time is the psychic shit. And like, I, I'm prone to agree. Yeah. Like, I'm... There's something with that, but I also do think that there has to be a certain, like energetic signature if you will that is attuned and in accordance with one's own in order for you to be able to pick up on it i don't think that you can accidentally pick up on someone's shit without there being like something there well we'll, we'll get into that there's there, there's some interesting experiments we'll talk about later on sweet that can't wait touch on that yeah i don't know like so i have no idea what the psychic phenomenon is he's a medical doctor right this man's a medical doctor but he's his research is primarily focused on this shit that's his interest. Like, that's what he okay. wants to be a doctor for. Okay. To, like, find the m medical cause of this shit. Like, the actual physical fucking... See if that's even possible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but he's attacking it kind of from that angle. Mm-hmm. A more, like, macro scale than I, I feel like a lot of people... Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. So, in uh, 1943, he earned his MD while maintaining his psychic uh, research, his interest in psychic research. And then, like, I don't know how many of the assholes we've talked about, World War II interrupted Puharik's education, and he enlisted in the U.S. Army Medical Corps. As a lieutenant, he was stationed in Nuremberg, treated both U.S. soldiers and German POWs in a military hospital. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. He uh, And witnessing the psychological trauma of war firsthand, Puharik uh, saw what it did to the brain, the effects of trauma on the mind and shit. PTSD the potential for altered states of consciousness. Oh, it's a hell of a thing. It's a and real we, ass thing. We talked about it in previous episodes, especially in our Harriet Tubman episode, how PTSD mm -hmm. and trauma plays into one's ability to enter altered states, experience trance, perhaps have visions of the future. Yeah. And I mean, we're, we'll talk about some of the sort of biological theories that Puharik had on, on this a bit later on, dealing with like the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems and shit like that. On December 9th, 1947, Puharik gets discharged from the army uh, for because of a persistent ear infection. Damn. Yeah. He goes to a party, he meets this dude, Paul de Cruyff, a science writer, and they have this like great con drunken conversation about Andrea's theories on like how nerves work and shit. And like the next morning, the conversation was so good that despite how fucking hungover he was from the night before. Paul de Croix remembered their discussion, called uh, Puharik up, and was like, "You should start a lab. Like, let's just get start you a fucking lab, uh, new, a neurological institute in Santa Barbara." Paul de Croix got money. 
he made a bunch of phone calls. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Paul so DeCroyf like, got charisma. Yeah. That's the pretty much the end of Paul DeCroyf in here. He got connections. Yeah. He's the networking guy. He just was. Point is, he just so like- they, So this goes to show you, because little, little point of uh, wisdom for our listeners and for anyone- those little drunken conversations that you have with people at parties mm-hmm. where you don't know really who they are, but you're kind of just bullshitting. Dude, shit can come know, about from that. Take their card, put it in your wallet. You might not remember the conversation the next day, but, you know, that stuff, that's how you actually get ahead in life. It adds up. It adds up. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anyway, it didn't add up for Paul, really, because, like... But he sets things in motion for Andrea. Well, we'll hold on a second. In California, Andrea has a whole bunch of things set up, right? Okay. Things are going to go so great for him. He's got all this, these benefactors and shit. He gets his medical discharge, and then he decides to visit his father and stepmother in Chicago before going to New York and Boston to meet other scientists for this institute. His father like asked him to go see these two Yugoslavians up in Camden, Maine. Yugoslav violinists. Yes, Zlatko, B- Zlatko Balokovic. A wow. Yugoslav violinist and his wife, Joyce. Okay, so they're chilling in Maine. They're probably like, ooh, we're good. We're, yeah. They're rich as fuck. Good for the Balakovics. Yeah, they're rich as fuck uh, from Yugoslavia. And I'm not really sure what the promise to his father was, but. This is like Christmas time, too. Yeah. So he's just discharged from medical school. Discharged from the army. He's got discharged his MG. From, okay. He's got Paul DeCroyf yeah. that's helping him set up a fucking new neurological institute in Santa Barbara. And then he just goes up to this violin player's house in Maine, right? And they start like talking about all this stuff. And they had found they had a mutual interest in philosophy, medicine, and psychic research. And Joyce introduces Andrea to like the actual psychic stuff. Like, you know, the possibility that, of people possessing powers like Jesus. Mm. Like maybe Jesus was a psychic. You know, maybe Jesus was an alien. Maybe Jesus was an alien. Maybe Jesus was Jerry Geller. <laughs> it starts early. I didn't even realize it starts starts this early. starts this early. Yeah, like this Joyce so, lady like introduces Joyce like, Balakovic. Yeah, and is she Yugoslav or her husband just as I know Zlatko jo- is. I yeah. don't know about Joyce. Okay, but like so, but now they're friends with Andrea. Well, so they're like sitting around this fire. You know, it's Christmas time. They're having this fine Yugoslavian liquor. They're fucking really rich. Up in Maine, Joyce is telling Andrea, like, what if Jesus was a psych- was actually a psychic? What if there's other people like that? This and is a- then sorry. What's Andrea's religion? Like, uh, what was he raised with? Do we know? No, I don't know. Probably No idea. I mean, probably Catholic or, yeah. or Orthodox or something. I don't know. He was raised Roman Catholic. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know how much he really cared. But she, you know, she basically like, you know, the story of Jesus, right? Like, okay. So Jesus does have a place in his heart though. Yes. Probably it, as growing up, going to like Roman yeah, Catholic school. But I think it was more like, it, it wasn't necessarily like, yo, what if there's another Jesus? It's more like, well, you know, there's all these people that can do all this ESP stuff. You know, there's like practicing psychics, right? Like there's all this shit, this, then yeah, I've always thought, I've always had ideas about that. I always thought that might be a thing. Well, you know, think about Jesus, like all those abilities, like there's people today that can do all those things, right? So it's more like, oh, maybe Jesus wasn't that special. Maybe it's just this untapped faculty in human brain. What if it's not miraculous? What if it's just psi, but at the same time? So like, what if Jesus almost represents like this... Almost like the Ubermensch, like yeah. the, the unlocked potential of man if they could only unlock those powers, but most people can't because they are not like Jesus. But if they could be like Jesus, yeah. then they could possess powers like him. Well, also like definitely from the perspective that Jesus was a person that was alive. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah, 
Okay, so they're all just hanging out in, in Maine, Maine, just uh, talking about this shit. They're so, fucking drunk, talking about Jesus powers. Puhark stays for three weeks, falls in love with the coastal town, and then feels a strong, almost irrational conviction that he needs to return and build a laboratory here, up in Maine. So he just fucks off from uh, the Neurological Institute in California. Santa Barbara. Yeah. Yeah. Where he was going to be the director. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you, Paul DeCroix. Fuck you, Paul DeCroix. Fuck all the phone calls you made for me. I'm going to Maine. Thanks, bro. (laughs) But nah. I'm just going to burn all those bridges. I'm just going to go live by these these rich Slavs. No, they'll accept him when he tries, when he goes back to California, though. He does. He'll find his people there. I don't think he goes back to California. He doesn't. He's basically, he's a Maine man now. Fuck yeah. He just, he has the vibes of a California man. I don't know why. He's a Maine man. I guess it's because he's from Chicago and that's the same trajectory that the IM people's folks. That's true. Yeah. They, they took, they went from sh- like Chicago to LA. Oh, dude, that's so how I guess fucking... I'm just expecting that because it's, it feels like similar flavors, but now. Nah. That's how weird po- Andrea Puharik is. That he doesn't go to LA. He goes to Maine instead. In Maine. And every- Camden, Maine. Maine's weird, dude. Maine's a weird oh, uh, fucking yeah. state. Yeah. It makes sense. He, he's he got Maine vibes. So by the end of his three weeks with the Balakovics, he's like, yep, this is where my lab is. Yeah, he wrote that it was like a, an, an irrational pull towards fucking Maine. This is where I'm going to do all my animal research. Near Stephen King's house. Yes. Like, this is where I'm going to form my own pet cemetery. Yeah, basically. Of dead So like what, what he wanted to do was... Um, the first thing he was setting up was a lab to study uh, nerve research on animals. Yep. Yeah. So that he had cemetery. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just like a creepy thing to do, by the way. It's just yeah. 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 No. Yeah. It sucks. Well, he started practicing practicing medicine again to make ends meet. Um, in December 1948, his neighbor Roy Hines offered him a barn to use as a lab, and there's like no heat or anything, and he was just building this fucking mind lab in a main barn. In the middle of winter with like negative 20 degree temperatures and shit. And you know when you're it's in Maine, hardcore. your neighbor means that he's like five miles away. Uh, you, you, no, probably closer than that, but. It's, it's cold enough they got to stay kind of close together. Little bit, know? little bit, just for emergencies. Yeah, Jesus. It's good to be friends with your neighbors, by it the is. way. And also, this is like coastal Maine. This is like the area where like the bushes live and shit. Mm. Like this is so that fucking like- rich Maine. Yes, but yeah. it's also insulated. Like it's a small so. community, but rich community. Extremely rich. Okay. Yeah. This is where the Bush family lives. This is where, well. Camden? Not or necessarily Camden. Camden, but like this, that area, Penobscot yeah. Bay and shit. Um, yeah, I forget the town the Bush is living, but it's right around there. It's that same cove, essentially. Mm. Um, and that's why there's all the fucking uh asters and duponts and shit that are part of the round table foundation right it's just oh, yes. that it's where they live oh yes the round tables yeah. we'll get to that well, that's, what we're, that's what we're working on. on yeah so yeah the balakovics got him a thirteen thousand dollars in grant by june 1949 he got a couple assistants the barn uh, became a home to a bunch of research animals he, uh, his first research project was conducted with dr samuel rosen a new york hearing specialist on conductive deafness so that's like Using nerve stimulation to get you hearing back. Yeah. Right? It's also interesting to note because I'm 27. He's like 30 at this time in yeah, his life. Yeah, he's like 30. Yeah, he's younger like, than these me. These are contemporary. Yeah. yeah, he's younger than I am right you know? now, which makes me feel so great. It's, Thank it's, you for bringing it up. Well, no, it's just, it, I think it's interesting <laughs> to think about his story from that point of view because I used to read about stuff and 
all assuming ad- which is an older person yeah, yeah all adults sort of went above the same like barrier where it was just like they're an adult don't really relate right. to that experience Not but now we're talking at right a man at a time in his life where he's very much at the same point in life that you and i are are essentially at yeah so to think about the things that he's doing the mindset that he's in the person that he is i i feel a closer connection with that even though it's back in you know 1949 fucking $13,000 in grants from some fucking rich slobs well if anyone's listening <laughs> patreon.com <laughs> slash the nonsense bazaar all right so Bark's second big break was in November 1949 when he met Eileen Garrett founder of the Parapsychological Foundation in New York okay. and a psychic herself a renowned psychic all right yeah. Eileen Garrett Eileen renowned Garrett, psychic founder and- of the Parapsychological Foundation yeah okay Garrett introduced Andrea to her friend John Hayes Hammond Jr., a renowned wow. electrical inventor, he electronic sound, inventor. That sounds like a, a folk punk artist. John Hayes Hammond Jr.? Yes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> so, <laughs> fucking, Puhark visited uh, Hammond's home in Gloucester, Massachusetts uh, in 1949, and that resulted in a long-lasting friendship. Hammond's uh, home was described as a medieval castle filled with antiques, art, and technology. It left a lasting impression on Andrea. And uh, Hammond helped him, like, in, in, you know, learned how to invent. Basically you know, like a electronic, mentor. Yeah. yeah. He, he mentored him in, like, electronic engineering and invention and shit. And, uh, Sweet. And this medieval castle with, like, you know, portraits of great people right. and very much part of that. Because it sounds like Puharik has done a lot of research and has a lot of background and, like, collegiate study having to do with the medical, biological side of things. He understands how the human body works. Yeah. So now to get a greater background in technology yeah, yeah, and yeah. electronics, he can start to synthesize these two things. Yeah, absolutely. Especially having a mentor like this. Yeah, absolutely. I hadn't even like thought of it like, where where did he learn how to do electronics engineering? I was just like assumed that he just learned those things. But it's like, no, you got to get taught that. He got taught that by this dude, John Hayes Hammond Jr., who... Like had some serious fucking old money ass, you know, steward of stewards of culture bullshit. Remember, they're in. This is the richest of the rich people. Right. Yeah. So by March twenty seventh, nineteen fifty one, um, Buhark began his experiments with Eileen and Hammond to explore telepathy. Uh, they faced numerous challenges. The Belakovics uh, got damn near run out of town for being <laughs> communists. No. Probably just Aww, yeah. The FBI checked up on Puharik and shit. Hey, uh, Joan, you fucking Croatian bastard. I'm from Chicago. I'm American. What yeah, are you talking everyone, about? Why does everyone keep getting this wrong? Well, your name's Andrea. Right, but it's not. Enough. It's Henry. It's Henry. I'm Henry. Well, eventually, one of uh, Puharik's patrons, Mr. Walter Cabot Payne, that he might Of the recommend. cheese fame? Different Cabot, but probably richer. Of Old the money. Payne fame? Yes. Of the Thomas Payne fame? Yeah, as in like- Who's Thomas Payne? Thomas Why do Payne I know that was name? the uh, pam- is it, like, he's the pamphlet guy. He wrote pamphlet a pamphlet. Guy. Yeah, he wrote inflammatory propaganda. Yeah, I, he was. A, I paid enough attention. See, Puhark liked George Washington. I liked Thomas Payne as a kid. That was my favorite of the American. Yeah, that guys. enlightenment shit. No, just that it, real inflammatory fucking. Well, I love the idea of just being able to like fan the flames of an entire country's political system yeah. by just like sending out some flyers by doing words good. Yeah, <laughs> I'll make you real mad. 
So um, Walter Cabot Payne is a yeah. patron of Andreas. Yeah, and like the Cabots are like an old money Boston family, right? He's like, we the got Paynes enough. are like an old fucking family. Got enough money, just throw it here, there. All right, well, you sound interesting. What yeah. What are you doing? You're doing some psychic research. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah, oh, they here, love that. Go for it. They love it. Yeah, have fun. Yeah, they got the fucking the Warrenton estate for thirty five thousand from 65 Walter Cabot Payne. Five acres, sixty five acres, sixty five acres in Glen Cove. Glen Cove. Ooh, that sounds fancy and yeah, name. yeah. 65 acres. Yeah. Long way from a barn in a couple Getting years. Getting the Warrington estate, upgrading from that barn. Okay. Fucking Roy Hines, thank you very much for your neighborly barn. Remember, um, Puharik won the oratorical contest. That charisma score. <laughs> in its early years, the Roundtable Foundation focused on several key areas of research, including telepathy, clairvoyance, and psychokinesis. Puharik was particularly interested in finding ways to measure psychic abilities objectively and developing techniques that could amplify or control psychic energy. Okay, so the Roundtable Foundation is basically founded at this new estate. Yeah, it's like... By him, Eileen, and this John Hayes Hammond Jr. And like you've and got... And a few other people. Well, yeah, a few other people for sure. Um, we mentioned a lot of this in the our episode on The Nine. Think of that episode as like part of this series. You know, it's fucking Ruth Forbes Payne Young, an Aster, or I think she might be a fucking... One of them is an Aster, a DuPont, Marcella DuPont, Alice Bouverie. Yeah, Alice Bouverie, who is an Aster, as in like the Waldorf Astoria, you know. One of the main families. Yeah. Like one and of not the, the Maine with an E families, but not both. the state of Maine but family. Both. both. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Are there pal around like Vannevar Bush and shit? I mean, fucking Henry Wallace was a, a like was a member of the Roundtable Foundation. He was a financial backer. He was fucking FDR's uh, Secretary of Agriculture and then Vice President, who was like the they still you know, exist the co architect of uh, the New Deal. What's that? The round- are, they, are they still active? No. It's yeah. just another thing calling itself the Roundtable. Yeah, it's Foundation. a different thing. Yeah. The the Eileen Garrett Roundtable Foundation is a different thing. Oh, interesting. Okay. So just for anyone that tries to look this up, there is something called the Roundtable Foundation that exists right now, but that's not what we're talking about. Right. The, this Roundtable Foundation only lasted until uh, 1960 or so, I believe. It was like a 10-year deal. And I feel like Eileen Garrett was one of the big progenitors and like making it happen uh, am i correct in that assumption yes yes Her and puharik and um, alice bouverie and ruth forbes Payne young and... so it's just like a collective of people yeah yeah who the right. scientist but it's this board of people that are interested in psychic shit parapsychological parapsychological research and shit they also have the psychics harry stone and peter herkos would be there um i mean i think there's like there's the board right, right. I mean, and Arthur Young is another big one. He was a big part of this. Mm-hmm. The dude who invented the Bell helicopter. Another fucking genius inventor, way too much right. fucking money, who's very interested in this so mystic this, shit. This foundation, it forms, like, for what reason exactly? Just all of these people are more or less interested in the same fields of research and decide that we want to pool our collective knowledge, our collective resources in order to keep learning about these things? Essentially, yeah. Okay. And, and like, just want to be clear about what yeah. it is. Right. Yeah. So they um they were no they wanted to be the science parapsychology lab, like the actual we're testing this objectively with technology, yeah. all this shit. I mean, Aldous Huxley went there and he like wrote very nice thing. He like very he was very impressed by the parapsycho- mm-hmm. parapsychology lab which was you know as you might imagine kind of just like today like people didn't take that 
seriously. Like they're trying to be the interdisciplinary, you know, right. fucking real-ass parapsychology lab. And this is the part of Andrea Puharik's career that people like and admire him for, right? Absolutely. You 100%. know? 100%. Because he used his scientific background, his medical background, to try and lend some credence to the world of psychical research, which not a lot of people had really done meaningfully in America up until this point. Absolutely. And that's a huge contribution. So people do look upon him favorably for that, and I can understand why. She gets real weird real fast, though. It absolutely does. <laughs> like way too fast. <laughs> nine bullshit. I mean, listen to the episode. Honestly, no, it goes. I mean, this, this is all like, yeah, we're doing, we're gonna figure out if psychic shit's real. But also, uh, there's a. This is like, like Lavenda says, it sounds like I just a made. fucking prayer meeting of the Association of Former Intelligence Officers. Yeah. These are the intel. If there are Illuminati, it's them. They're this all just what, mind like, fucking each other. Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. Um, so. Well, Puark became interested in the prospect of using Faraday Cage to enhance Eileen Garrett's psychic powers. So for this, they got a research grant from perhaps some CIA connections uh, of nearly $100,000. Guys, good lord, go on. So Puark constructs a Faraday Cage to study the mysterious phenomenon of extrasensory perception. But like, what what happens when you put a metal cage around it? Let's get a fucking $100,000 cage, put it around Eileen Garrett, see what happens. (laughs) Basically. Yeah, it, well, get... it made her better at it. Yeah. 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 November 1952, his experience yielded astonishing results, um, showing a significant increase in ESP within the confines of the cage. And now, this is around the time that Puharik also gave a talk to the army about the um, potential for paranormal weaponry. Hello, and it's always military. described like that, paranormal weaponry. Yeah. Not psychic, paranormal weaponry. Yeah, and in December 1952... Puharik's drafted into the army. Uh, as Which a, army? The American army? The American well, yeah, army. Uh, yeah. As a medical doctor at a place called Edgewood Arsenal. Yeah. I mean, well, he he's had experience. He's been in the army before. Now, if y'all motherfuckers don't know about Edgewood Arsenal, <laughs> this place was fucked. This is the first. This is one of the most fucked places in American history. Was he drafted into it? I'm willing to bet his time at Edgewood, I don't think it was drafted. You know, I don't think he was forced into his position there. From 1940 until 1973, during both peacetime and periods of conflict, people were drafted into the U.S. Armed Forces. But including into, like, medical doctorate positions? Like, doctors could be drafted? Especially those positions. Wow. Sorry. I, I guess I just have a huge blind spot on American history in that area because I I had no idea. I, I'm pretty sure, like... Yeah, they were drafted to fill vacancies in the U.S. Armed Forces that could not be filled through voluntary means. When you've got like something like a doctor, I can imagine yep. you might end up short. Doctors, nurses, and other medical technicians could be drafted in the event of... Yeah, even nowadays, that's still yeah. in, in place. <laughs> Sorry, doctors. Yeah, so I mean, that's what it says, but like, also, he's around all these fucking military people. Like, it, I don't know how it happened. Do you know what I mean? However it happened, he was there and it was the perfect place for him to be to do what he wanted to do. Yeah. And he was also like bouncing back and forth too. Like, so he definitely was like, I don't know how much it wasn't like he got sent to boot camp. You yeah. know what I mean? They probably said, hey, bud, we need your help on something over here at Edgewood. Right. Which um, is. And the thing about that? Edgewood. That's in Maryland? Yeah. Okay. Fort, Fort, uh, Fort Detrick. So still East Coast. He's not ha- having to yeah. travel like. But what they did at Edgewood is very interesting. God, yes. Edgewood is where the first uh, LSD experiments happened, and that's the fun part. 
They also tested a whole bunch of other chemical uh, warfare agents, a lot of drugs on unsuspecting U.S. soldiers. Involuntarily. Yep. Some motherfuckers died. Other motherfuckers had real bad times. Yep. There was that drug EA3167. Look this shit up if you want to have an afternoon on the internet that like (laughs) drives you crazy. Read about this drug. It was developed under contract specifically for Edgewood, and it lasted five to ten days. Jesus. Yeah, an anticholinergic delirium drug. And if you, oh. if you listen to our Benadryl episode... Well, that's precisely Puharik's area of specialty. You know about anticholinergics and delirients mm-hmm. and what they can fucking do to you. Imagine that lasting five to ten days. Because <sighs> the time dilation just within a small dose that lasts for an afternoon feels crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're gone forever. So if you're gone forever for ten days, that's an eternity in another place. Yeah. And that's what they were putting people through. Yeah. And a lot of these were made from Datura, uh, which is also where scopolamine comes from. That like device did that thing, the truth drug that you, Columbia blowed in your face. And again, the name of that drug for those who are curious is EA3167. Word. Just because I think a a five to 10 day lasting delirium is like, whoa, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. No, dude, and like that's precisely the shit they the type of drugs he was working on. That could be and administered through a handshake too, just a little what? teeny tiny teeny itty bitty bit of it, and you could cause someone to go fucking insane. Jesus Christ! Administer that shit through a handshake, and then your opponent, that whoever you give that to, they're gone for the next ten days. If you use that strategically, oh man! Jesus Christ! So that's Edgewood, yeah, yeah, they're doing all sorts of fun shit. So he's there. He's making that shit. I mean, that's like, that's what he was working on, you know? But he's also bouncing back and forth between there and fucking the goddamn Roundtable Foundation. And like, it's right before he goes to Edgewood for the first time that they channel the nine. New Year's Eve, 1952 into 1953. Again, go listen to that. Like, that's happening right at this time where. And for those, you know, the nine, just give a sentence to it. It's a group of nine entities. And this motherfucker. Dr. Vinod channeled this thing calling itself the nine, nine principles and forces that like proves itself by being, by giving, finishing one of Einstein's equations or something (laughs) and then apparates nine pieces of string that they give to the people watching this fiasco and which who are again an Aster, a DuPont, a fucking, you know, the Roundtable Foundation. Foundation, telling them that this represents the uh, it's some Indian thing that means they're the new Brahmin, which is like the highest yeah. caste, you know, the, right. the enlightened ones and shit. They're right. The divine synthesis between male and female, like to be the state of Brahma, that's like No different greatest. word. Yeah. No different. Yeah, yeah different. Yeah. It's the it's the same word, but it's two it's like two different, different things. things. Yeah. Yeah. Cut that out. I will. <laughs> Yeah, no, Brahman is like the highest caste system. And then there's Brahma, which is... Brahma, God. Brahman, different. Yeah. Un- it's unfortunately a different thing. But you can see well, how it could leave be. that in because that's educational. <laughs> <laughs> but like, he's making this weird drugs right after this. And oh, this is... Jesus Christ. This is history, God. This isn't even conspiracy. This is history. It's just what happened. This is just what happened. Like, we're not even into the speculation yet. Well, I don't know if he actually made that drug himself, but he was... That's what he was working on. Well, yeah. So just keep in mind, Puhar was directly involved, no doubt, in some of the most unethical and twisted stuff we've ever done as a uh, nation officially. Um, well, his work also captured the attention of CIA's technical services staff. 
which was intrigued by his work with telepathy and clairvoyance and, uh, you know, the whole thing with the nine. Because, like... So, this whole alien... These post. guys, because uh, these guys... I said you were channeling aliens with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I got drafted. <laughs> um, you know, or maybe it was just through because he was buddies with... And fucking Arthur Young and he Henry knew, Wallace. And, he knew a lot of important, powerful yeah. people. He was just who you'd go talk to if you needed somebody in this capacity. Right, which um, makes him a vulnerable person. A vulnerable or just the guy? Well, it makes him vulnerable to outside influences who see him as a point that could influence and connect with other important people. That's true. And I think he thought he was using all of them. Right. Yeah. We'll see. How this all goes for everybody Who's involved. Using who? We will, we will see. Who's pulling the strings here? Dr. Vinod. I mean, Puark does just go fucking crazy by the end of this. Can't wait. Yeah. Oh, however it happened, Puark was recruited by CIA, by CIA as a consultant to Project Artichoke, which was a competing program to Project MKUltra. It's often reported that they that Project Artichoke led into MKUltra, but in fact, it was just another... There's mind control two program. different projects run yeah. by like different people. Different yeah, run by different people. You know, for pretty much the same goals, but with like different supervisors, different specific end goals. Project Artichoke was very much about creating assassins. Okay. Yeah, that was that was that, and it was you know Morse Allen's uh, Morse Allen was running Project Artichoke while Sidney Gottlieb was running MK Ultra. Both those names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight yeah, out of yeah. a fucking pulp novel. Oh yeah. I mean, Sidney Gottlieb, the, po- the poisoner in chief. Morse Allen's the most CIA fucking name I've ever heard in my life. Um, Hard boiled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about uh, the CIA conspiracy side of Puhark's life, because there's a lot, there's a fucking, hey, there's a, there's a lot to be read about MKUltra. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> He's spooky. Um, Recluse on the Visa blog has done some great writing and, uh, what 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 is it? What's the word when you pull a bunch of shit together? Archiving, compilation, compiling, a bunch of the various you know anecdotes and information that you have to glean from all these different fucking Where books about Mark. Uh, Visupview.blogspot.com. How do you spell that? Like Y I S U P. Oh, V I S U P. Yeah, that's funny because that phonetically, like it, it sounds like Weishaupt, like. The like Adam Weishaupt? Yeah. No, no, but it's not. <laughs> Weishaupt. <laughs> yeah. That's what I thought you were saying. No, it's not. It, no, he doesn't run the Vi- Weishaupt. <laughs> so this is, uh, here's a quote from one of the artichoke, artichoke documents. Here's a quote from one of the artichoke documents stating its objectives. Evaluation and development of any method by which we can get information from a person against his will and without his knowledge. Can we get control of an individual to the point where he will do our bidding against his will and even against such fundamental laws of nature such as self-preservation? Yes, you can. Yep. And here's old Spookface himself, Alan Dulles, in a secret memo writing about Artichoke. Who's Alan Dulles? Alan Dulles. He fucking old Spookface. He was, um... Not Founder the first, of the CIA? Not the first head of the CIA, but him and his brother, um, oh, what the fuck is his brother? His brother was Secretary of State when he was uh, fucking um, head of the CIA and under his ass- He was director of it. Yeah, he was director of CIA and it was under his ass that like CIA got real fucking crazy overthrowing governments and shit. I mean, he was uh, he was like chair of the fucking Warren Commission and shit. Like, um, he's all spook face, dude. He's one of the big right. great bastards of history. So this is a memo writing about Project Artichoke. He says, 
In our conversation on 9 February 1951, I outlined to you the possibilities of augmenting the usual interrogation methods by the use of drugs, hypnosis, shock, etc., and emphasized the defensive aspects as well as the offensive opportunities in this field of applied medical science. The enclosed folder, Interrogation Techniques, was prepared in my medical division to provide you with a suitable background. Yeah. Drugs, hypnosis, shock, etc. You know, he's just, he's just involved in all this spook shit in like a couple years. And this comes from like a, a lot of... Well, they want him for a reason. Yeah. You know, this didn't just happen out of nowhere. There was a precedent set where they saw what he was doing with the Roundtable Foundation. Yeah. They saw his neuropsychological, yeah. biological research, whatever he was doing with that shit. Right. His hearing aid stuff, the stuff with implanting devices into people's teeth. Did well, we talk about that? We haven't talked about that yet. My goodness. Well, we'll get there. So there was definitely a precedent for why the CIA would be interested yeah. in this man and being like, Hey. Remember, he's the guy that wants to synthesize all the fields to understand what is a mind. And that's what they're interested in. Truly, though. And he's channeling right. aliens with all their wives. So he <laughs> might as well... Hey, come here. But, you know, it's... it's This is also often presented as, like, sort of uh, evidence of a contradictory nature of Puharik's character, that he's doing all this work with the Roundtable Foundation and then all this work with the government and shit. No. It's not contradictory at all. No. No. It's... It, he wasn't living a double life. Like it, that sort of relies on an assumption that parapsychology is essentially harmless—a fun little goof em up, fun time with the rich old ladies. And if there's, and he was doing the same shit at both places. Right. If there's anything, anything at all to psychic abilities, it changes the story entirely. But even if there's nothing to it, consider this: even if the psychic abilities, even if, I'll give it to you. But they don't exist at all. We're all crazy. It's fine. However. 20 years after this, the CIA and Army Intelligence took a keen interest in psi phenomena along with Stanford Research Institute. So even yeah. if you don't believe it... Well, listen to our Psychic we know, Spy episode. Yeah. Episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go listen to our Psychic Spy episodes. Um, and so like, even if you don't believe it, we know they did. Right? That's the important part. And also, as we'll learn from... As we have learned from a lot of our episodes... Ultimately, at the end of the day, oftentimes the truth doesn't really matter. It matters what people believe in and how that impacts our reality. Absolutely. So whether or not all this psychic research, we have the, the meat and bones to back it up, whatever, they were doing this. They were doing it. The people running the government were doing it. Um, like, we also know how absolutely lousy with intelligence connections the Roundtable Foundation was. It's just my opinion, but I will die on this fucking hill. Like, these supposedly contradictory parts of uh, Andrew Puark's character are not at all contradictory. It's one thing. Remember, we legitimately do not know the extent of the military and intelligence experiments with behavior modification. Sidney Gottlieb burned a lot of fucking papers. Like, we don't I'm know. I'm sure it goes deep. I'm a mind-controlled sex slave. I mean... I am. Jesus Christ. <laughs> And this is also, after all, when the whole saga with the Nine started. And so the other thing about the Nine episode, again, go listen to it, is that the, the dude who channeled the Nine, Dr. Vinod. Oh, actually, this, this is, so this is the clip where, this is actually super important. Okay. Yeah. Because remember, it talks about how he uh, was friends with Henry Wallace. So this Henry Wallace? Vice president under FDR. Ah. Uh. The art, like one of the architects of the New Deal, the dude who should have been the guy to drop the bomb if it wasn't for the Democratic political machine, like super important character in American history. 
this is Puark talking about that period in his life and um, channeling the nine at that time. In the early 50s, actually about 1950, uh, I was in New York City. I lived in Maine, had a laboratory there, was doing animal work and human work and parody cage and so on and so on. And I was young, I didn't know that much, you know. A lot of brass, but not knowledge. So one of the things that happened was I was in New York City and I went to a reception given by a very famous lady in parapsychology at that time named Sazaline Guerra. And she had as a visiting guest from uh, India a nice little guy in a narrow jacket and so on uh, with glasses. And you know, it could have been anybody's uncle. It was relatively conspicuous. And he was very quiet. And uh, we met in the corner. And I asked him, you know, what he does. He's from the University of Pune. And here on a peace mission and so on and so on. And he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm studying parapsychology and trying to find out the ultimate reach of the mind so I can finally design a brain. I mean, that's where my head was in those days, right? And uh, so he said, well, we must get together. I said, how long are you going to be in the country? Oh, he said, I'll be here for about six months and maybe I'll get a renewal. So I said, fine, I'll get together with you. Well, I left him and not only been intervened, six months went by, a year went by. And every once in a while, I think, gee, maybe I'd call him up, but I didn't. So one day, I was up in uh, Upper Westchester County area visiting with the former vice president of the United States, Henry Wallace, who was a good friend of mine. We did a lot of agricultural experiments together. And we got stuck a little bit on the statistics of an experiment we were running. So I missed the train. I was going to take back to New York City. and. Uh, I missed it by about two hours, and I did have an appointment in New York City. So he rushed me to the nearest town, which is Pleasantville, New York, known for Reader's Digest, put me on a train there. I got on the train, and I sat down, you know, running all day, you know. And the last guy gets on the train, he comes late, and it's this Dr. Vina. He sits next to me and says, oh, he says, oh, time for us. You know, the Indians talk with a little high-pitched voice. And say, oh, it's time we ought to get together, right? And you know, I guess so we've been caught up with. Make a long story short, I invited him up to uh, uh, my laboratory in Maine, which is near Rockland. And he came in by plane. One of my colleagues had picked him up. He walked into the house, which is a very famous Stanford White place, huge, and walked into the library and sat down without giving us any warning, went into trance and start speaking. We are nine principles and forces, personalities of the wish, and we plan this to the ultimate blah, 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 blah. So that's the precursor to the nine. And that just shows how fucking spooked up this dude is. Like, he's just at, hanging out with Henry Wallace. This dude shows up on a fucking train out of nowhere after meeting him in New York City. Yeah. After he's two hours late for this train. Yeah. He has to get driven to another. Like, that's just weird. It's very weird. I also, I did a little research after we did our episode on the Nine. Turns out this Dr. Vinod character, um, he was a one-time head of a Theosophical Society chapter in I India. I was, okay, yeah. because as we were listening to that clip, I was trying to find if Puharik had ever had any connections with anthroposophy because Rudolf Steiner was very into agriculture specifically. I'm, you know, I'm sure. So, and you know, I think Steiner Henry was, Wallace was actually into anthroposophy. Yeah, because that has a huge emphasis on agriculture and farming. Yeah. And the relationship of the land to man and nature. Yeah. 
I, so I, I, that I was trying to figure out if I could find a concrete connection to that, but it makes sense. Yeah, I, no, I think Henry Henry Wallace was uh, very interested in theosophy, according to things I've read. Yeah. Um, theosophy and anthroposophy. So yeah. So there's the theosophy thing again, and uh, in the bonus episode this week, we're talking about some the secret text, historical text that Helena Blavatsky based. Oh the yes, secret doctrine we are. On. Yeah, the ancient text written in Senzar, the universal language <laughs> that she used to form her for- formation of the idea of the creation of the universe. It's a whole bunch of nonsense, and uh, yeah, we're talking about it this week on our bonus series. All right, so yeah, Vinod, theosophist. There's a theosophy connection as well. What's his first name? Do we even know? No. Or he's just Dr. Vinod. His his first name is Doctor. Like, I'm sure he has a name. Yeah, but he's kind of just I like- just never read it. This mythical character. Everyone in this fucking story is- None of this ever actually happened. No. Nope. Like, that's none the- of it. So That's the other thing, guys. I'm sorry, but like, that's also a very real possibility is that like, none of this is true. Right. <laughs> it's like, you know, you'll find accounts of Andrea Puharik having a brother named Henry Puharik, and you're like- no. No, that's that's him. That's him. Yeah. Confusing the fucking plot. Yeah. There's a lot of plot confusion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There sure is. And it's only going to get worse for the next three weeks. So, congratulations. Buckle in. <laughs> Buckle up and fuck you. <laughs> no, this is important. We have to do this, guys. I'm telling you. So, as you might guess, though, not... Everyone at CIA in Edgewood was a fan of Puharik's more outlandish ideas. The fuck is this nine bullshit? Yeah, who's this fucking guy? What are we doing? And he faced a fair share of adversaries during his time um, with the government, even within MKUltra and Artichoke, right? One of Puharik's earliest opponents was Frank Olson, <laughs> who uh, met his, his uh, untimely end through suicide, quote unquote, in November 1953. Suicide. Suicide. Wink. Wink. Suicide out of a high-rise window on LSD. Suspicious. I don't know why so many people connected to various state departments choose that way to go out. You know? It's just odd. Something about the job, I guess. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. (laughs) Well, Puharik had already butted heads with Olson, who was a chemist with CIA, before being called back into the army. Uh, Puharik was an open supporter of esoteric subjects, making claims about our abilities to communicate with higher intelligences and shit, and uh, Olson was... Fairly skeptical out of, of such notions. In mid-1952, during a Chemical Corps Biological Division briefing on hallucinogenic plants, Frank Olson threw a snide remark at Puharik. Not one to take it lying down, Puharik challenged Olson to a debate, calling him a, quote, Oh, frightened schoolboy who had not yet managed to overcome his fear of the dark. Which is a savage line coming from a mad scientist. You know, might not be too untrue, though. Absolutely. These people who are so vehemently against engaging with esotericism and engaging with religion, like these um, dogmatic atheists that you'll meet, it's like, bro, what are you scared of? I I can just like kind You're of- Scared of something. Yeah, but, and it's just as that creepy as, like, I can imagine like Puharik like standing up, like pointing at this man and like seeing his fucking crate and like the lights get dim. You frightened schoolboy. Thunder cracks. He's not yet managed to overcome his fear of the dark. Like, but he has Jesus hasn't. Christ. And he got tossed out of the window. Or maybe he was just a good guy. Well, he was also on a shitload of LSD without knowing it. Well, I won't think all the time. I think he was a chemist most of the time, but he did yeah. get tossed out of a fucking window. Yeah. Yeah. 
Apparently, this argument could have turned into a fistfight had it not been for the intervention of the Chemical Corps' medical director, Buhark's friend, Corn uh, Colonel Norman Elton. All right, boys, settle down. He, basically. But no one appeared to clash more with Buhark within the CIA than stage magician John Mulholland. Always a fucking stage magician. Yeah. So John Mulholland was a performing stage magician. He got recruited by CIA to write the handbook on a sleight of hand for CIA, like literally a, a handbook by a stage magician on how to do close-up stage magic as an agent. Like the, the manual of dirty tricks skill. and deception. Sleight of hand? Yes. Incredibly useful. Yeah. Like there's a connection from... <laughs> CIA is that thing that connects both magic magic and stage magic. <laughs> well, what is being a spy except for basically being a magician? Yeah. Yeah. Both I mean, ways. Both uh, both types. Literally, though. Yeah. I, I feel like they are very one and the same. There's a lot of similarities between the archetypes. Oh, yeah. No, there's a weird triangle with like stage magicians sorcerers and so it's we'll say stage magicians wizards and fucking spooks. intelligent and spooks yeah there's there's a strange triumvirate there so john mulholland is a stage magician hired by the cia yeah he's a to help teach them about like deception cool yeah all right yeah um he's a close ally of Sidney gottlieb and he's involved in MK MKUltra. Sidney gottlieb He's involved with Midnight Climax, right? Yeah, yeah, that was part of MK Ultra. That he was the poisoner in chief, is how is what they referred yeah, to. Sidney he Godley was a chemist as. too. Yeah, he was a weird little elfin fucker. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he was a fucking creep, Sidney Gottlieb. He was the head of MK Ultra. Okay. Yeah, this weird chemist who loved like folk dancing and shit and. Oh, <laughs> yeah. creepy. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. No. Irish step dancing is creepy. I know that's not what you said, but I'm just gonna put it out like, there. Like it's close. Sorry, who I insult. Fair enough. Dancing with your arms at your sides, looking all blank like that, just staring ahead with your little curly wig all bouncing. What are you doing? I mean, that's You're kinda, opening up portals. That's kind of what Sidney Gottlieb was looking like, except like I think more on the German side because there are big Nazi vibes throughout this whole thing. <laughs> 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 you know, like that's not. Let's not forget, this is there's big Nazi vibes throughout all of this. Evil vibes in yeah. Irish step dancing. That's what I'm going to throw out there. This is more the German style, I think. Oh. Don't insult the Irish. They've had they've had a hard go of it. I know. I'm Irish. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mulholland despised Buhar for reasons that are still unclear. Um, well, we we do know that like Mulholland wrote a particularly scathing report on Buhar's work and pers personality. Mulholland accused Puhark of squandering government money on parapsychological experiments that lacked proper controls. He was particularly critical of Puhark's use of a Faraday cage to block electrical interference during psychic tests, and Mulholland suggested that uh, such experiments could yield deceptive results, even downright cheating, by doctors and subjects. But that's standard okay, yeah, sure, stage yeah. magician that's... shitting on parapsychology because stage magicians are the closest thing to the capital S skeptic. James right? Randi. I mean, we're going to encounter him in part two. Yep. He, yeah, and, he's part of this. And he's basically uh, part two's version of Mulholland. Mulholland yeah. Well, yeah. And also another CIA stooge. Yeah. <laughs> but so, but stage magicians kind of see things through the lens of everyone's doing a trick. They don't right. believe any of it, right? What's the trick here? Right. They. That's just where their head's at. Mm-hmm. But that's so that's what you'd expect. But on a trip to the Armor Research Foundation in Chicago, which is a weird organization, if you ever want to just like go, huh? I wonder what that is. Armor Research Foundation. Yeah. Chicago. Anything yeah. in Chicago's. And Chicago's a creepy fucking city, dude. Mulholland claimed to have caught Buhark in a classic bullshitter's trap. Like when they were talking with, um, you know, people they were sent there to talk to and shit. Yeah. Mulholland kind of suspected Buhark was one of those guys that uses like $4 words to confuse people when he's like 
needs to get out of something or needs to bullshit. So Mulholland does the thing where he asks Puhark if she was familiar with a certain doctor's work. <laughs> and Puhark starts rattling off like, oh, yeah, I met him at this time. And he starts rattling off like papers and like his research and stuff. Dude, Mulholland made up that name on the spot. There was no doctor with that name. So he was just like, look, I this dude is a bullshitter, you know? Right. So there's that. I believe that comes from um, biography of Mulholland. God. Yeah. I mean, that tracks. Yeah. Yeah. It tracks. Yeah. He's a bullshitter. Puhark is a bullshitter. Like, we <laughs> Well, it's like, it's like being out on a date and you're like, oh, have you ever seen the movie like Afternoon of the Sunset? And they're like, yeah, I oh, love, yeah, that, I love movie. that movie. <laughs> and they're like, you just know that they've never. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure I've been guilty of doing that myself. Just unconsciously, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I know that. Like, yeah, I know when I'm not paying attention, about. I'll do that. Yeah. I right? always see. I always think that. But it's stupid to do that. It's very stupid to do that. Because it's always an opportunity to learn more. So well, why pretend that you know? Yeah, straight up. I see. I always get scared that like when I'm talking with someone and we actually do share like tons of the same niche interests and shit, I always think that they're going to think I'm doing that. No. That's where my head's I've never at. been worried about that. I'm more constantly worried about that in every yeah. facet of my life. They're going to find out. They're going <laughs> to find nothing, out what a fraud I am. It's, there's nothing to find out. Yeah, no. Or is there? <laughs> what happened to your voice just now? Is it the Batman voice? Oh God! <laughs> At the very least, Puhark's uh, one of those fellows who uses his giant words to try and confuse people. I hate people like he that. He doesn't want to seem like he knows less than you. Oh, he yes. never wants to seem like that. Ever, yeah. Well, by the mid 1950s, the research at the Roundtable Foundation was going full steam. Puhark had invited the quote legendary Dutch psychic Peter Herkos to America. And the two had become good friends. Uh, Peter Herkos is a piece of work. <laughs> I've heard, I heard an interview with him and Puhark like in the 80s or something. Like a phone radio thing he like calls in. He's a bullshitter, dude. And he was described as vulgar and loud, a towering man who was pilloried by people like James Randi. Like Peter Herkos was like one of the first like going on talk shows psychics. First like celebrities. And he's just this huge Dutchman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was commissioned for helping... Like, with the high-profile cases, like the Sharon Tate murders? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, they, like, brought him on to do shit like that. Yep. Like, use your psychic powers to help us. Yeah, he was, like, one of the that. first of the, those and guys. Family. Boston train. Yeah, okay, interesting. He was also arrested and fined $1,000 once for impersonating a federal agent when he disguised himself as a cop to find out information he would later claim was revealed to him through his psychic powers. Oh my God. Yeah. Apparently... His psychic abilities were triggered by falling from a ladder? Could very well be true. Hey. I mean, near-death experiences That, that temporal shit. lobe bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. That frontal lobe trauma, it'll do something. Also involved in the research were Eileen Garrett and uh, author and mystic Harry Stone. Puhark's book Beyond Telepathy goes into great detail on the psychic research they conducted there. We can talk about it a little bit, but like it's, it is worth reading if you're interested in this stuff because it isn't like Puhark is a bullshitter. But I also do think that a lot of his research was legitimate. Yeah. Like, I don't think he, I don't think Beyond Telepathy is a lie of a book. I think it's an actual it's, book. Right. Like, it wasn't made to be a fake, like, haha, gotcha thing. We're just going to make money off of this. It was made with an honest effort to do something, whether or not it amounted to anything real or not. It was made with an honest effort to try and. 
I think Puhark was legitimately interested in psychic powers. Correct. Yeah. And I think a lot of his bullshitting was in order to facilitate that, mm-hmm. facilitate the actual research. It wasn't. He wasn't right. trying to but con people out of money wasn't for. That. Right. I think the book is part of the actual research. I mean, just the detail it goes into, the notes, the footnotes, the references, the sources, all this shit. It's 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 very good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's him trying to legitimize his life's work. I mean, it's the book that comes out of the Roundtable Foundation on psychic on yeah. psychic phenomena. It's sick. I recommend it. But one of the in- super interesting things that Buhark documents in that book was the connection between the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system on the ability to psychically receive and send information respectively. Now, we talked about this extensively in our Benadryl episode because of what that drug does. The sympathetic nervous system is your active fight or flight response nervous system or fight or flight or freeze or whatever. It's that engaged like fucking cold sweats, shit's happening nervous yeah. system, right? Your parasympathetic is your rest and digest nervous system. That's your kicking back, receiving, letting things flow in, a meditative state, alpha brain waves, shit like that. Yeah. Right? So this was- Rest and digest. Yeah. So Puhark discovers that there's a serious connection between sending messages in a sympathetic activated state, uh, an adrenergic state, adrenaline running, versus receiving information in a parasympathetic or cholinergic state, which is interesting considering all the drug research he was doing, or a muscarinic state yeah. also. Yeah. <laughs> so, and this was discovered, and I have to include this because what would the nonsense bizarre be without a, getting a little bit of scatological humor thrown in there, just on the top, right? Eileen Garrett reported feeling fatigued and having very wet poops after an extended psychic session, a classic marker for an activated parasympathetic nervous system. Well, her bowels are real loose. This, this book is sick. Loose, <laughs> As an example of how the sympathetic fight or flight nervous system contributes to the sending of telepathic signals, Puhark recounts a story of a construction worker working in Boston who had just finished up for the day and was having a snack. Parasympathy. Sitting back, having a snack. And all of a sudden, he feels the need to go to this other construction site a few blocks away because he just knows someone's in danger. The thing is, no one was supposed to be working there that day. They weren't scheduled to be there that day. There should have been no one at that site, but he feels all of a sudden, oh shit, someone's in danger over by the zoo. Yeah. Right? He tells people around, I've got this bad feeling, like, dude, no one's there. Like, what are you talking about? Well, he's like, I got to go. So he runs over there and what he finds is that a dude had been over there, one of the dudes on his crew, and he had fallen into a hole and had his legs trapped and could not get out and he definitely would have died if homeboy hadn't found him. Jesus. Yeah. So it's almost as if like, See, I imagine in the context of what we're talking about, that being in this parasympathetic state, this resting state, this open state, if you will, it gives your mind enough open space in order to receive those signals from perhaps other people or from around you. And especially if they're in in a sympathetic state where this dude fell into a hole and he was going to die. And so it like focuses his shit into this like beam. Yeah. So it like his chaotic vortex of like i'm gonna die energy found mm-hmm. its way to the nearest void yeah yeah the nearest accessible void to someone who was connected within his mind matrix somebody yep. who knew him yeah and when they were in that state of of emptiness if you will like that state of rest it enabled that point of action to reach them yes and for him to realize oh shit i actually can't rest yeah need to go do something that's not sure what need to go do it yeah, that's basically... Signal received, must go do. Yeah, that's basically what Buhark writes. Yeah. Right? And uh, he also, and he does like talk about the matrix network thing too. Like that's part of it. But also you can have people that act as bridges between networks. 
Oh, yeah. Like that's a, that's also a thing. I, am I insane because this makes sense to me? I mean, this is what a scientist wrote about parapsychology. So like, yeah, it's probably the least insane thing in an insane field to like think makes sense. Like, it, it's a very good book. <laughs> you know, I have to give him props for this. Yeah. And it's also he writes is like why like you'll see a mom realizing her kids are in danger like while she's having a cup of tea. Shit like that, like at this, you know, the 4 p.m. period of the day, right? Um, sitting at the at the kitchen table and all of a sudden gets the feeling that her kid's in danger. Kid's in a sympathetic activated state. She's in a parasympathetic state. They have the link. And like this pattern kind of happens over and over again. But there's a ton of other interesting shit in that book too. Like another example is uh, Harry Stone, the author of Mystic, had a trick where he could, he could do where you could have him in a room with like 10 to 12 people and he'd say, all right, I'm going to leave this room for five minutes. Does anyone have a dime in their pocket? And someone would say, yeah, I got a dime. He's like, okay, I'm going to leave this room for five minutes. And you hide that dime and I'll find it when I get back. And he'd go out, they'd hide the dime, he'd come back in blindfolded and immediately walk to the place the dime is, right? But one time they noticed that the person who hid the dime waffled on where to hide it like five times, like second guessing and moving it and going, oh, maybe I'll put it here. Oh, no. Yeah. And uh, when Harry Stone came back in blindfolded, Puhark saw that he traced the dime hider's steps perfectly. He went to all the spots. That the dude almost hit it in the right order. Yeah. So Puark got to think that this was telepathic rather than like daimeopathic. Like that Harry Stone was not focusing on the dime. He was focusing on the person. Mm-hmm. And that's where he was getting the information. So they tried a new experiment wherein the person hiding the dime would, when Harry Stone came back into the room, concentrate on an area where the dime was not. Say if it's hidden, you know, under the coffee cup, you think about the windowsill, something yeah. like that. And sure enough... This made Harry Stone go to the wrong place, the place where the person was concentrating on rather than where the dime was actually hidden. Fascinating. Fascinating. So he knows who the person is placing the dime? Yeah. Well, I imagine if you're highly attuned to other people and their body language, you're paying very close attention to that person who placed the dime, their eye movements. Their head movement. Before, yeah. before you leave the room. Even before you leave the room. What's near to that? What are they oh, looking at? Oh, dude, good call. You know? Yeah. And when you enter the room, what do they first look at? What does their head move towards? Well, he's blindfolded when he, when he goes back in. Oh, well, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. But beforehand, I mean, well, no, he like he might see that like they, their eyes might dart to the place they're going to hide it immediately, yeah. but not every time. Right. Not every person's going to And there's that. probably, honestly- Limited places where you could hide a dime. There's probably a few good places between a couch cushion, perhaps, but most people probably. Well, here's the thing: if you're blindfolded, it's also impressive to just walk straight to the. It is a place. No, it certainly know. is. But I'm trying to think of what are ways that you could to try falsify it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how could you try to figure out where someone had placed something and follow their eyes, follow their head? Where do they look? I mean, I think. Well, the thing that doesn't explain the uh, anything that doesn't explain the like the the waffling on a place five times and second guessing. Not at all. You know, but that it, that's a good thing to keep in mind, though. Like there are more complex ways to tell certain things than you might initially think. Yeah. And they could just be as simple as observational skills that a lot of people maybe don't pay attention to. True. Then he also talks about the in, the old Indian rope trick, where it looked like a magician and his assistant would send a rope in, and disappear into nothing from like having it coiled on the ground, like lift it up, climb a rope in the air, and go into nothing. But upon reviewing videotapes of it, what happened? They didn't actually. There was no illusion really going on. They just 
stepped away from the rope and stood <clears throat> as part of the crowd. But if you were there, it looked like they disappeared into nothingness, but they actually just stood still for a second. <laughs> and he attributes this to some sort of like telepathic glamour, which would be very fucking interesting. Or the CIA would be very interested in that, you know. Now, remember, even if you don't believe this, this motherfucker worked for people that run our goddamn country. Should I choose to believe this because it's less frightening if it's actually real? You know? <laughs> but also, Mark is a bullshitter. So Harry Stone, we didn't m mention this in the episode on the Nine, but in 1954, while testing his psychometry with Alice Bouverie, that's object reading, getting information from an object, Alice Bouverie had a gold pendant that allegedly belonged to the ancient Egyptian queen T.A., mother of Akhenaten. Okay. Yeah. Which, being a rich bitch, she probably did. Who knows? <laughs> Anyone did, she did, you know? After apparently having a seizure, uh, Stone went into a deep trance and began to utter words in strange language. Then he drew a series of hieroglyphs before talking in English about a drug that would stimulate psychic abilities. He spoke, among other things, about entering an underground hall where a statue of a dog-headed man came to life and shit. Good lord. So Bouvery was super excited by this, uh, and she immediately, like, called Puharik at the army base for advice on what to do next. She, like, mailed him drawings and a copy of Stone's strange utterances. Puharik took them to, he says, another army doctor on the site, who just so happened to be an expert in extremely rare and archaic forms of hieroglyphs. And to his great surprise, verified that Stone's writings were indeed ancient Egyptian. The communicator had identified himself as Rahotep, naming his wife as Nefert. Wow, okay. This is before the Nine identified themselves as the Egyptian gods. By the way, that happens later. Mm -hmm. So many of the details that Rahotep communicated to Stone were in fact confirmed by Puharik and this anonymous army doctor. Just happened to be an amateur expert Egyptologist. Right, because of course. Specializing in ancient and archaic uh, Ancient and archaic. Yeah. Wow, just around the board. So, you know, all these details that Stone had, you know, that were confirmed by these guys, they were, uh, what's, the, what's the term? Bullshit. They were bullshit. They were bad Egypt. It was bad Egyptology. Yeah. It was just wrong. <laughs> just straight up fucking wrong. <laughs> about what the pyramids were used for and what was where and all this shit. But it was definitely shit that amateur expert Egyptologists at the time would have thought was right. Like Puharik and the anonymous army doctor who's probably just Puharik. Oh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The most important aspect of these communications was that Rahotep, Rahotep's main concern was to import in impart information about a drug used by the priests of Heliopolis to open the door to the gods, a mushroom that induced hallucinatory experiences, a sort of chemical stargate. From Stone's drawings, Puharik identified the Amanita muscaria mushroom. Right. This is not the psilocybin mushroom, although he would become interested in that as well. But the Amanita muscaria, the toadstool, has a long history of use as a shamanic tool. Santa Claus is yeah. probably... I mean, that's like... The fly agaric, that's the yeah. red cap with yeah. the white spots. That's yeah. the classic Alice in Wonderland yeah. cartoon mushroom. Yeah. That is the Amanita muscari. It is not a psilocybin mushroom. It has no chemical relation to LSD or DMT or psilocybin. It's really poisonous. Uh, most of the, the super poisonous mushrooms are all Amanitas. Yeah. The, the death angel and shit. Well, what what the toadstool is, what the... Amanita muscaria is muscaria, as in muscarinic. It's a it's a delirient and a powerful cholinergic. Mm-hmm. Just like the Daytura extracts they were using at Edgewood. Just like Buhark's research on cholinergic states, the parasympathetic nervous system. Just like that E one six four bullshit you were talking about earlier, the five day fuck you up. 
Yep. Yeah. The five day fuck the you. The five day fuck you up. Well, that's an anticholinergic, but it's still it's a dr- another drug that acts on the cholinergic nervous system, which seems over the course of years to be Buharic's main chemical focus. The yep. cholinergic system, right? Yes, because yeah. the muscarinic receptors in your body, which are a type of receptor protein found in the central and peripheral nervous systems, are activated by this neurotransmitter that is found should be you know, found in abundance, should be found in its normal amount, acetylcholine. Yes. That's what that is. That's the fucking, that's the, that's That's the the thing. That's That's the the neurotransmitter that will either completely fuck you up or. That's the neurotransmitter that I forgot the name of while I was writing this. (laughs) Acetylcholine. Acetylcholine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, uh, Amanita muscaria is a, it actually, I think it does two things. I think it does both things. It cholinergizes and then anti-cholinergizes. Yeah. Because Puharic wrote that it enhances psychic powers up until the hallucinations start, then it doesn't. Now, this is real funny because like he learned about the Amnita muscaria, the secret ancient Egyptian Stargate drug, from a hieroglyph that Harry Stone wrote while talking to this Egyptian fucking entity named Rahotep that like probably did exist, but like not they got a bunch of details wrong and shit. Like, here's the goddamn fucking thing. We already knew. A few things, you know, from the writings of Puharic and others, and curiously enough, from our episodes on Benadryl, and we know all sorts of fun shit about cholinergics and anticholinergics. One has said the cholinergic system was one of the primary things that the ghouls at Edgewood were looking into. Two, Puharic found the link to the parasympathetic nervous system in his own words from a lady's wet poops. So his ass already knew the connection between muscarine and telepathy, or at least trance states. And Edgewood Arsenal was working on the exact same bullshit for chemical weapons. Right, because this acetylcholine, this neurotransmitter, it affects literally everything in your body. Yeah. Like, it is the main chemical messenger. It affects muscle movement. It affects memory and learning. It, atten- it affects uh, attention. It affects your automatic nervous system, which includes stuff like your heart rate. Yeah. Your digestion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your glands. How you process pain. Yep. It is the neurotransmitter that controls all of this stuff. So if you if you can fuck with someone on this level and fuck with this neurotransmitter, yeah. then basically it's like em. right, you know? It's like in our parasite pill episode, this idea of how a human can be like infected to act differently than they normally would. Well, get them at their cholinergic system. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it'll fuck everything up. Yeah. Fuck their neurotransmitters like that, up. That's absolutely what you there's a logical reason to see that Puharic might have thought maybe acetylcholine has something to do with dynamics. Oh, totally. Because it's the thing that transmits the information all over the body. Right. And when people are in that delirious state, they experience intense hallucinations. They meet with dead family members. They have incredible trance-like, dream-like experiences. So that brings us to three. This is less of a thing we know than something we can infer. It is far more likely that Puharic started looking at the Amanita muscaria mushroom because of these factors— then it is because a channeled ancient Egyptian entity that didn't actually know shit about Egypt told him about it. Andrea Puharic is a greasy, greasy fucking bastard. Like, some big lies in there. Yeah. Some big old fucking lies. In 1956, he and Peter Herkos and Arthur Young went down to Mexico looking for shrooms on the dime of probably CIA, allegedly. This is when he was contacted by the Logheads, which you'll remember from the Nine episode. Go over who they are again, just real quick. So the Logheads... We didn't know at the time. We're actually the subject of the book When Prophecy Fails. They were connected to George Hunt Williamson, who is connected to the goddamn William Dudley Pelly, 
the Nazi. So, you know, so, you know, in fact, I've heard, well, the Logheads found Puhark and Herkos and Young at this expat fucking cafe down in southern Mexico. And they said, hey, this medium told us to come to Mexico because we got this message from this thing calling itself the Nine and like, uh, you should pay attention. How the well, fuck did they know? Well, they had a medium. And in fact, I've heard, I've heard that it was George Hunt Williamson who was the mysterious medium. Okay. Well, later Puhark would learn that it was Spectra, the alien spacecraft that was telling Eric Gallery it was Jesus. Um, Get into that in part two. That's next week. We've only just begun. We sent the logheads. It could have been George Hunt Williamson who sent the logheads down to Mexico looking for Andrea in the first place. Jesus Christ. It's all just such a tangled web. Oh, yeah. It's been speculated that Puhark was sent on that Mexico trip by CIA as part of Project Artichoke, which would make sense if there was, as I said, a chemical compound that could do specifically the receiving of telepathic signals and control to all of your fucking body, well, boy, how do that sure be something? Hit him with the musk grain and then have some weird CIA psychic beaming instructions into him. Or I don't know, like maybe a machine, maybe, who knows? Or just a guy sitting there saying stuff. Yeah, or a machine, maybe, because Aww. it's important to consider that Andrea Puhark was a scientist, you know? And he, in his own words, believed that there wasn't any supernatural element to this stuff, just an undiscovered force, right? As we go further in this series, I do wonder if that will change. But here's the other fucking thing Puhark is known for. Yes. Medical implants. Yeah. He contributed to early research that would become the cochlear hearing aid. Uh, it's often reported that he was one of the inventors of that. He's not. I, at least he's not on the patent for that, but he's on the patent for earlier technology that would become that, which is hearing aids and shit that stimulate the actual nerves rather than amplifying sound or something, getting around your eardrums in general, literally wiring shit into your fucking head, right? Yeah. Those are the patents that Andrea Puhark produced. Patents to wire shit into your facial nerves to let you hear. That is to say, transmit voices directly to your skull through electronic means. That's what his patents are for. It's what they're on. Voice to skull technology. Like, look at Google Patents. That's where his fucking name is. It's on that shit, right? Mm. No, but it's it's to help the people here and like Jesus did, you know? Hear the fucking deaf. He also um, made this tooth filling that was a radio receiver. A radio receiver implanted in a tooth filling that would use the dental structure to transmit voices into your skull. Isn't it kind of fucking strange how many people around Andrew Puhark channeled a weird mechanical sounding voice that seemed to come from somewhere other than their vocal cords? Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. Like, that's a thing that just shows up around him, this entire thing. Definitely can't be understated. Yeah. Like, literally, there are so many... It keeps happening. You'll see with Uri Geller. You'll see with fucking Dr. Vinod. Like, he hypnotizes a motherfucker, and then they start chant- talking with this voice that seems to come from somewhere else that's weird and metallic. Now, he'll end up saying that it gets recorded onto tapes and stuff, but then the tapes mysteriously disappear and all this shit. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know this for sure. Like, let me be very clear. Like, we don't have proof of this. But the sort of hardcore, the falsification of Puhark's bullshit ends somewhere so fucking dark, mm-hmm. it's really frightening. Like, yeah. and if you are going to be a like, how could all this shit have happened? Where's the trick? Where's the magic trick? Where that goes is, like, so fucking dark that, like, yikes. This man said he wanted to design a mind. <laughs> this is this is fucking scary shit, dude. <laughs> anyway, we'll get back to that. Also, I don't know where and when he learned hypnosis, but he was an extremely competent hypnotist. You know, um, pretty easy to do. 
Throughout the 1960s, it was those implants that he worked on with the company Intellectron. The Roundtable Foundation shut down in like 1959, just ran out of money and shit, times were changing. They did their stuff. Also in the 1960s, the other thing he was working on was the Brazilian psychic surgeon Arigo. Arigo was a Brazilian dude who claimed, and so did many, many, many others, to be able to use psychic powers to perform healing on people. This motherfucker, apparently, according to Puhark, so, you know, he'd have people lined up for a mile to have him heal them. And uh, just for the record, I don't buy it for one second. Fair enough. And he wasn't just laying on hands either. Nah, this dude would take a rusty knife, a dirty knife never cleaned, a meat cleaver, in fact, slice people open, take out their tumors or infections or whatever, zip them up and send them on their way. No anesthetic or nothing. But this dude treated over 300 patients a day for 20 years, apparently. The president of Brazil brought his damn daughter to him. Buhark brought back a bunch of 8mm film. It's silent, so it doesn't play well for radio, but you can watch it on YouTube. And this dude sticks a rusty-ass meat cleaver into people's eyes and wiggles it around. And you can see the blade under the skin. Mm -hmm. It's really weird. Like, it's weird. Like, I know it should be bullshit, and I can see how it would be bullshit, but actually seeing it is fucking odd. Like, there's odd shit to Arigo. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's odd. It's one of the weirdest fucking things I've ever heard of or seen. <laughs> and apparently it wasn't actually Arigo doing this. It was a channeled entity. A Prussian. German feller. Okay, so it's this Brazilian dude named Arigo, but the thing that's doing all of these healings, yeah. it's not him. It's, it's, this, it's this entity. It's a German named Dr. Fritz. Good Prussian. Lord. In South America, in the post-World War II era, you know, it's just kind of a funny thing to... Have going on. I was possessed by a Nazi. <laughs> and when he would do this, it was it was actually Doctor Fritz talking with like a whole ass German accent and shit. Like <laughs> his voice changed and shit. Um, like it. Yeah, I don't even know. In an interview yeah. in 1987, Puharik said this: "When you're there watching him operate, you can't believe it's real. It shocks every sensibility. Guy walks to him and walks up to him, and Arigo says." You've got a cancer near the pancreas. Pull up your shirt. Drop your pants. <laughs> Pulls out a knife, opens it up, cuts open the intestine, and glues the two ends together, and somehow, just like that, the person is healed. There would be a couple hundred people lined up around his house waiting, waiting to be next. The average treatment was about two minutes, and all of this was done without anesthesia or antisepsis. Allegedly. Allegedly. Puhark is a medical doctor, also a fucking liar. Why would he lie about Arigo, though? That's weird. Things don't add up, is all I'm saying. Shit's odd. This Arigo motherfucker also, despite having a third grade education, would diagnose and write out modern prescriptions and not have any memory of it. That's the, that's the story. Critics would say that they were really simple prescriptions and some of them were wrong and shit. Um, there's a very long clip of Puhark talking about Arigo, but we're running so long that I just don't think I'm going to play it. Yeah. But Puhark became really good friends with Arigo. I mean, okay, here's the weird thing about Arigo, right? He was imprisoned for practicing chicanery. Yeah. But they let him keep practicing psychic medicine while he was imprisoned because the entire country believed it. Like the church believed it enough to let him keep practicing in prison. The government believed it enough to let him keep practicing in prison and shit. Like that's weird. Right. Also, Puark saw a bunch of UFOs in Brazil and he was there. He would go there like regularly from 1962 to 1961 to 1968. That was his big project. He thought that Arigo was his, his guy, his new Jesus, right? It's odd. I don't know. It's odd. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Puhark does also say that he was uh, down there initially working as a consultant for NASA for some fucking reason. Because uh. fuck it. Why not? He's a ghost. I don't. It's so weird, dude. I don't know. I don't know. Well, yeah. Puhark made trip after trip down to Brazil between 1961 and 1968. And then in 1971, Arrigo died in a car accident. Okay. He just fucking died. Uh, uh, as people do. Yeah. Uh, it. Puhark writes that he was heartbroken about this for like a while. He was close. Okay. Yeah, he knew. I mean, and he was also like, he thought that this was his ticket. That this dude was was like the real deal. The real deal. This is the one. Okay. Yeah. And like he would, you know, later when he was talking to the intelligence spectra or the group of intelligence, which is also just the nine again, through Uri Geller. Yeah, he would end up talking to like the spirit of Arigo and he would come to believe that it was one intelligence that was responsible for all of the paranormal bullshit, right? Oh, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't wait. Um, also, in the 1960s, Puhark traveled to Hawaii and was initiated into the religion of the goddess Peli. And Pele, bitch. Yeah, dude. Carlson, love has won. Yes, yes. I, I found an article written by the son of the uh, like Hawaiian shaman. Who did this with uh, Puhark? This, so this dude was like a kid at the time, mm-hmm. and he talks about how fucking Puhark, you know, gets there and like, you know, it's it's kind of a taboo thing, but like his dad agrees to do it, and so he goes into a trance and he fucking calls to the heavens to Pelly, and like weird shit starts happening, and Puhark's like, okay, ask it so and so, and the shaman goes like, well, you're standing right there, like you ask her, and so Puhark like starts demanding answers from a god and like weird sounds start coming from the sky and shit and just like all it just starts going like like Puhark's a fucking magician on a volcano talking to a goddamn volcano god is the way the son of the shaman describes it in an article I found on archive.org that's just some random ass thing on the internet mm-hmm. so that's weird too <laughs> yup yup <laughs> <laughs> like the bullshit is off the chain and the really weird shit is off the chain. Both. Yep. But no one knows about this dude. Yeah. It's so fucking weird. And in 1971, the boy would get up to even more and weirder stuff when he met a young Israeli psychic named Uri Geller. Possible, potential, very likely spook. Definitely spook. 100%. Without a doubt, actually. I mean, he, he says he worked for Mossad, so like at the very least, he was Mossad. Pretty much you know? confirmed. Yeah, he's he's Mossad. And future president of the United States. <laughs> you do have to be born in the U.S. Well, that, uh, I trust him to be the first non-U.S. born president. I mean, there's time travel shit with Uri Geller, too, so like, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Uri Geller is Abraham Lincoln. And- Sorry, Uri Geller. I thought you were going to say Abraham. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Abraham. Abraham. Yeah, and in this next couple year period, uh, Puhark would end up meeting the intelligence called Spectra, and a lot of really weird shit would happen in Israel. And that's what we're going to focus on next week. We're going to zero in on the book Puhark wrote about his time with Uri Geller. It legitimately only gets fucking weirder from here. I know it's a lot, guys. I know oh, it's I'm a in lot. for this. Yeah. Even if they aren't, I'm I'm strapped in for all three parts, and you guys better this come sh- along with us. This shit is crazy. This yeah, it's yeah, it's just fucking insane. So, the six of discs. It is so interesting in relation yeah. to this because it's all about power, 
resources, like yeah. knowledge, giving the idea of giving and receiving. Who's yes. on which end? Yes. You know? Oh my that, God, you're so, oh yeah. Yeah, that's all, because also six is in the middle of, It's different. You know, it's the fucking, it's the, the yeah. Christ-centered, the curtain. Right. Yeah. Because every suit of cards goes one through ten, so six is kind of your past five, which is re- really the point of chaos, the point yeah, of it's, crisis, it's, you're past the midpoint, and now you're kind of at, at a turning point, but you are still, like, at this midpoint of... You know, which one are you? On the Tree of Life, six is right in the center on the middle pillar. Yeah. It, it is the point of balance and on I the Tree like of Life. In this card, when you pull it, it's really like, well, which one are you? Are you the beggar or are you the giver? Well, we're which both, one do you we're need? Bo- we're both we're the both. same. Yeah. It's the acknowledgement that we are both throughout our lives, yep. you know? So that's why you, you pay it forward, right? And there's like, this constant interplay throughout our lives, which is very evident in... Puharic story. I think so. And I think especially as we start to see how things start going crazier and crazier for Puharic. Mm-hmm. And it starts to seem like perhaps he's the one being fucked with. Right. Because he's, you know, he's always finding himself on this side or that side, but never really sure which one. I mean, I think he thinks that through or most of his life. Or at least that's how I feel as, as a spectator looking in on his life. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think that he is a very arrogant man and a very quietly arrogant man. Well, yeah, and I think that, like, Puhark spent a lot of his early career just, like, schmoozing. I mean, the whole thing with John Mulholland at the Armour Research Foundation, I mean, he's he's angling for a benefactor. He he wants a wealthy patron, you know? Yep. I sort of half think that that's the reason for the George Washington essay, like, he knew what would work. Like, I honestly am starting to think that that might be the real reason, because he knew that's, that's what wins contests. Yep. You know? At the same time, there's enough weird shit that happens around him. Even just finding the writing from the fucking Hawaiian shaman fucking son. Right. Just some random thing on the internet somewhere that I have to go on archive.org to get and shit. Do you think that it was important for Puharic to be important? Like Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He thought he was very, very smart. He was. And that it, he was it right mattered about it too. to him to have a legacy. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, if you want to get back to the astrology shit again, my having so many of the same placements but then like oriented different and that makes me think of like the connection between like george washington how he writes of george washington as like an alien a man who cannot be appreciated by the people of his time you know i feel like that's very much how he wishes to be remembered i think so and i think he was maybe, maybe people don't get me now they will but i think he was also very focused on this a, a deification an idolization of knowledge and learning and 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 absolutely knowledge for knowledge's sake yeah. Which I can't get down with, I don't think. Um, right. I think there's a lot of empathy missing from even the way Puhark talks about his friends and shit. Right. Because it um, was like, what was his very pursuit nice. of all of this knowledge? Did he use it to build relationships? Did the world and get better for his presence? And friends? Like, who were the people that actually mattered to him? And like, I mean, he has his fun little buddy comedy with yeah. Yuri Geller that we'll get into next week. He's got Peter Herkos. But ultimately, I mean, like, his, his friends like, were other assholes. Like, Ira Einhorn, right. Peter Herkos, Yuri yeah. Geller. These are all fucking hey, asshole womanizers. Hey, I mean, don't talk sorry. shit about Uri Geller. No, but really, you can imagine I fucking that love Uri Geller. <laughs> he's definitely a, mo- a womanizer, though. Uh, he's, a, he's a loyal man. No. <laughs> No, that man's a dog. <laughs> Are you sure? I don't know. He's a sensitive fella. Uh-uh. We can't slander Uri Geller. He will I sue us. They're all dogs. They were in the dog club together. And I, I mean, know. God bless him for it. But no, like, I think Uri's a, a sensitive of- soul. Uh-uh. Uri's different than these other guys. He's, he didn't trust Buhar. Yeah. He, he, 
I don't know who Ari, Ge- Ari Geller is. And I can't talk too much shit about him because he will sue us. <laughs> That's just true. It's okay. I'll give him a rim job. It'll well, yeah. smooth us over. Well, we do have a lawyer on retainer. That's yeah. Um, but yeah, and I think that this the cycle of being the benefactor, being the one who um, benefits, being the one who gets the benefit. I think in the reverse form, like the manipulative aspect of being a benefit beneficiary a beneficiary is that like he ends up getting maybe fucked with, like maybe the shit that starts happening in Israel. Right, he believes. I don't know. Eileen Garrett, right, founder of the Parapsychological Foundation, she's really interested in all this shit. He, too, has a cursory interest in it. He's very fascinated by all of these things, too. But the people who are funding him, the people who are around him also have these interests and I imagine are helping to guide along his interests and his version of thinking of, of these things. Yeah, I wonder. they're the ones funding his research. Yeah, and I wonder at like a, a certain point, maybe like how much is his, how much is he just like being the guy? Right. You know, like that does have to be fun being the guy. Oh, totally. But also in, well, he could buy the George Washington bullshit too and think that's his duty to like shape America and, and which is like shades of Nazism, right? Like, oh yeah, this, this whole, like not, you know, the Nazi as the esoteric Nazi philosophy, the Nazism as a philosophy from the fucking future. Right. That dark shit, like that, that mind control, Alan Dulles. Like, we have to perfectly control society type shit. Yeah, and it's also interesting tying this back into astrology with the lack of Earth in his chart and this sort of ever-present... Aquarius as well. Yeah, and his search for legacy. Like, this idea of how do I ground myself to this Earth? I have to do it through my scientific research, through my search of information, through my, my legacy. I don't know if he ever cared about that. He certainly seems very ephemeral when he talks as an old man. Right, but I also think he cares about legacy as his grounding quality, yeah. as his like that earthly element that he's missing in his life that he wishes to attain. Or he might have just been super curious. He might have just been too. the curious cat, you know, totally amoral, uh, Prince of Cups. I wish we knew more about his childhood and adolescence and young adulthood to form our idea of him more, but we'll just have to go off of what we know. Yeah, I mean, there's maybe there's shit I haven't read, but like there's the book Mem- Memories of a Maverick written by one of his ex-wives oh, that God. Uri Geller hosts on his website. That's well, maybe like, that's a future episode. Well, it's what I'm, It's one of the big sources I'm using. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's written very positively. Yeah. Like, Memories of a Maverick. Uh, oh. But there's not, like, I use most of the beats. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot that in there that changes. I don't get a whole lot the, of insight into him as, like, I don't feel like I know him as an individual. Despite one of... The source is supposedly be- being this super personal thing. Yeah. I don't know. Despite using his books and his... I don't know. Yeah. It's weird, right? Like, well, it's hard to describe. 12th house Aries... Yeah. Or not Aries, Aquarius Aries, dominant. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't really want to be known. It's fucking creepy. He wants to be remembered, but he doesn't want to be known. Or Yeah, there you go. Or maybe I'm just totally wrong. Maybe he's a great dude. And I know he fucking wasn't. He, no. I have to take a stand on this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is ridiculous. He was a bastard. He was a greasy fucking bastard. <laughs> greasy bastard. Greasy bastard. All right. Well, we'll see you next week. Yeah, next week we're having a fucking I can't wait. fun psychic times in Israel. Yes. Hell yes. Um, if you like what we do and you want to support the show, if you want to hear some uh, our bonus stuff, we're going to be talking about the Book of Jean, the secret esoteric text that Theosophy is based off of, but it's actually not really. It's just some fucking whack-ass poems made up by a Russian lady. Yep. That's what we're talking about this week on our bonus series, The Corkboard Bazaar. You can get access to that for as low as $5 a month at patreon.com slash the nonsense bazaar. 
Also get access to our Discord yes. where we're chilling. We're big chilling. I haven't been in there a lot lately because I'm getting well, in there. Um, <laughs> well, we had five hours of recording that shit to bed. That is a thing that happened. <laughs> we already recorded <laughs> this. this. So please, um, yeah, it's it's a lot this of sacrifice. Our efforts. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna play us out on a fucking on a stupid track I whipped together with samples from one of Puark's TV appearances and also oh, early yeah. gear. Yeah, I called us. Puharic wave. We're in Mexico, thousands of miles from our Hollywood sound stages in a place called Meetup, on the very edge of civilization. There are no actors, there's no script. Or oh, this psychic report can only be recorded at the moment it happens. Our chartered plane will fly us to a remote mountain village to look for, of all things, a mushroom. A very strange mushroom indeed, with powers beyond belief. And last, our forever optimistic, Dr. Andre Puharish. Dr. Puharish has brought us here in the first place. The pilot says he'll be ready soon, John. It's breaking, I think, now. On the very edge of civilization. Incredible is the word. It's breaking, I think, now. It's, it's... Very spooky. Look, it's becoming plastic. And there is no heat. If anybody tries to get in here, I'll hit him on the head. Uh seems to have an incredible effect on the power of extrasensory perception. Incredible is the word. We're here for some very specific purposes. I would say that our prime mission is to explore and examine these new mushrooms and find out if they can be of any benefit in this problem of mental disease. It's breaking, I think, now. On the very edge of civilization. Incredible is the word. It's breaking, I think, now. It's, it's... Very spooky. Look, it's becoming plastic. And there is no heat. If anybody tries to get in here, I'll hit him on the head. <laughs> it's breaking, I think, now. On the very edge of civilization. Incredible is the word. It's breaking, I think, now. It's, it's... Very spooky. Look, it's becoming plastic. And there is no heat. If anybody tries to get in here, I'll hit him on the head. <laughs>